This is a time of year that's always seems special to people, right? Let me put this timer on. Y'all like, wait a minute, it's going to be a long service. (laughs) Pastor, turn the timer on. (laughs) This time of year is always special, right? Uh, Families have their different traditions. Oneida walked in right now, and she's got like 2,500 traditions with all the grandkids. If you look at Oneida's Facebook, you see gingerbread houses, stocking stuffers, this and that. I mean, all sorts of things. You can go down there. It's like, it's like her page right now is like a Pinterest-like list right now. That's what Oneida's Facebook looks like. And, and that's cool, you know? Um, there's things, people, some families like to drive around and look at all the lights, right? You drive around, you look at the lights, you look at the houses, you say, wow. And then you think about how you were just too lazy to do it with yours because I don't. Or you're like, my house doesn't have that many. And then it becomes a light competition. People travel and they see family and friends. There's food involved. It's a great time of the year. If you drive long enough or you look around long enough, you're bound to bump into a nativity scene, right? We mentioned it last week when we talked about the little boy who tried to kidnap Mary and hold her for ransom. <laughs> but you run into a nativity scene and you look at it, and if you think about it, right, um, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's the story behind it. It comes to life just through a scene. It just comes through a scene. Many churches, and I know Lighthouse you, you, uh, has done this as well, like they do plays and dramas, and they act it out, they sing, or they dance. They, they, they do presentations to kind of bring the nativity scene to life, right? The characters associated with the story of Jesus' birth, they're colorful, they're, memorial, they're memorable, and we recognize them by a lot of the speaking parts that they had or, about, or, or their roles that they played, you know? Many of them had dramatic words, dramatic uh, 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 scenes. Here we have um, the angels. They take center stage to announce the birth of the Savior. They appear to Joseph and announce that the name of the child will be Jesus. The archangel, Gabriel, he makes an unforgettable announcement to Mary. And an angelic choir, they interrupt the shepherds. And that was found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when when it says, says like a choir of angels shouted, Glory to the God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. We see Mary... She has a solo part, right? And she offers this beautiful hymn and thanksgiving. And it's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 48. She says, Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now all generations will call me blessed. The wise men, they have their lines as they, des- they are desperate in their search to find the newborn king and are prepared to present with him with gifts of honor. Found, see that in Matthew 2, verse 2. And it says, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Then even the shepherds play a part as they become, I guess, somehow like the first evangelist, right? The first evangelist hurrying to find baby Jesus, and then when they do, they're rushing to tell everyone about him. Found in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. But oddly enough, who is left out of the dialogue? Joseph. Today's title is, What About Joseph? What about Joseph? What about Joseph? Joseph is left out of the dialogue. He has no speaking parts. He is the lone, silent member of the cast. Some of you guys that don't like to, to speak in front of people, if there's ever like a nativity drama, volunteer to be Joseph. There are no speaking parts for Joseph. Unless the director gets creative, you know, because we know that he was involved, but he just has no speaking parts. He's often forgotten many times. Angels bring heavenly greetings. Mary sings a praiseful solo. The wise men worship. The shepherds preach about Jesus. But what about Joseph? Joseph is silent. No lines attributed to him. No sound bites, no snippets, no, I don't know what you call it, things these days. Yeah, that. He's got no reels, no Instagram videos, nothing. He's got nothing. Joseph is silent. However, Joseph is irreplaceable in the story of Jesus' birth. His importance cannot be overstated. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. As we read these verses, as we pay attention to the role that Joseph plays in bringing about, in, in upbringing the greatest gift of all time. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ as, was as follows. After his mother, Mary was betrothed, betrothed to Joseph, betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, right, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, your, take you, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife and did not know her. Till she had brought forth. You know what that means? He didn't sleep with her. They, had no, they did not have sex until her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. All right. All right. Hmm. It's still amazing to me that when you read this and you hear Joseph's, I mean, he's involved, right? It's obvious. Angel spoke to him. He, you know, angel gave him instructions. And yet, it's amazing to see that he has no lines. He still doesn't speak in all this, right? As a matter of fact, as we search the Gospels, if you guys go on a scavenger hunt through the Gospels, you will see that he never has a speaking line. If you search even deeper, you will see that my main man disappears when Jesus is 12. Why do you got to do my guy, my guy Joseph like that? Why do you got to do him like that? After Jesus is 12, when he's 12, he's the last time we hear about Joseph in the Gospels. 
We don't hear anything about this earthly father that raised the Savior after that. Joseph doesn't speak, but you know the saying goes, right? Actions actions speak louder than words. And through his actions, his silent actions, Joseph teaches us there's three lessons to learn in just this small passage. And the first one I want to talk about today is he teaches us a lesson in righteousness. He teaches us a lesson in righteousness. I'm going to reread verses 18 and 19. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. We are introduced to Joseph. You know what I mean? Because this is the beginning, right? This is chapter 1 of Matthew. So we are introduced to Joseph in a time where he's in the middle of a personal crisis. We are introduced to Joseph when he's in this crisis. He's in the midst of some drama. There's some drama going on in his life right now. He became engaged to this beautiful young girl. He's obviously been working hard to establish himself, to be sure that he could take care of him, his wife, and his family. He's putting his, stuff, he's putting his life together. Um, and, you know, he's ready to support his new bride and begin a family. He's in love. He's committed to be married. He's committed to marry. And he believed she loved him. I thought you loved me. He believed she loved him. Until this sudden news. Think about it. Until this sudden news. Um, I'm pregnant. <laughs> now, let's be honest, right? Those that are in relationships with somebody, that if, all right, let's talk to the guys right now. Let's just talk to the guys. You're in a relationship with this young, you're about to get married, and your girlfriend comes up to you, your fiance comes up to you, and she's like, hey, I just need to talk. And you're like, okay, what's up? I'm pregnant. Now, um, the Holy Spirit, wait, 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 what? You don't, you don't hear Holy Spirit. You don't hear God. You don't hear chosen. You don't hear that, that you know, this is a blessing. You don't hear, listen, men, all you hear is That's all you hear. That's all you hear, the pregnant part. And what happens at that point? Well, it ain't mine. What happened? What did you do? How could you do this to me, right? Broken. Can you imagine him feeling heartbroken and betrayed? See, the thing is, we read this story already knowing, right? So you can read this story, and a couple lines later, after she's pregnant, like, you see God telling you, oh, this is all God's doing. Like you, you're seeing it from the outside, seeing the full picture frame. Joseph isn't seeing what we're reading. You understand this? He's not seeing what we're reading. All, you know, what's happening with the angel and Mary is happening, and he's not there. He's not reading it the way you're reading it. He, don't, he doesn't have no clue that that ever happened. And then she walks over to him, obviously, and then tells him, and we know, Oh, oh, don't worry, Joseph. God did that. No, he doesn't know that. All he hears is, I'm pregnant. And he knows he didn't do it. What does he do? Can you imagine? Heartbroken, feeling betrayed. How should I respond? Can you imagine, Joseph? What do I do? What do I do? Do I publicly shame her? He had the right to. Do I turn her into the authorities and have her stoned? He had the right to do that too. Because that's the way it was back then. It's crazy how our world has evolved so much. Now, I know stoning may have been a little extreme. Where's the grace? Where's the love? Where's the mercy? But the fact is how adultery was perceived back then. I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic. But, but, but look at how adultery was perceived back then. It was not accepted. It was looked down upon. 
and there was a punishment for it. And then look at us, fast forward to 2022, and in some circles, adultery is accepted, not only accepted, but it's encouraged. Do you know I've heard some therapists say, oh, dude, I don't know where people get their licenses these days. I don't. But I read somewhere of a marriage, marriage counselor expressing that what could help their marriage is to open their marriage and involve other people in their marriage. I'm going to tell you something that is definitely wrong, incorrect, and against the word of God. So don't do that. Anyways, it, I just, sorry, I was got off topic. It's just crazy how we've gone from, from one extreme to the next. But the word tells us about this, about sin growing more and more as we get closer to the coming Christ. Anyways, he could have he turned her over to the authorities for the charge of adultery, and she would have been stoned. Um, even her explanation of the pregnancy is unbelievable. Come on, come on. Imagine, guys, guys. It's ridiculous. It's even blasphemous. So if Mary wasn't stoned on the charge of adultery, she could have been stoned on the charges of blasphemy. However, Joseph chooses the path of mercy. The Bible says that he was a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame. So he decided to divorce her quietly. He decided, you know what? You do you. You go your way. I'll go my way. Don't worry. I won't say nothing. I'm not even going to make a big deal about it. It's just I don't want to ever see you again. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, right? We don't know, right? But the thing is, it was going to be quietly. It was going to be quietly. Now, this, again, is before the angel appears to Joseph. This is all happening before the angel talks to Joseph. So before any divine intervention, before any divine explanation, before any interference of God at all, he had already decided to show mercy. Do you see this? It's not because God said. No, no. He was a righteous man. So before God even got involved in the situation, his decision off the bat, his, 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 his automatic decision to this uh, situation was, let me not shame her. Let me just do it quietly. Let me let her just be. Hmm. I'm sure, I mean, he, he, there's no malice in his response. There's no explosion right? I'm sure he must have questions, though. What man wouldn't have questions? I mean, okay, you already know it's not yours, but you still got to know. Like, you got to know. We got to know what happened. Where, when, how, why, who? Like, you know, we got the questions. And then you can go. Like, I don't know. How could you do this to me? Who's the father? I'm taking you to the Maury show. Maury, Maury, Maury. <laughs> Joseph, you are not the father. But as I mentioned before, <laughs> as I mentioned before, no words are recorded from Joseph, only tenderness. He might have been the talk of the town. Can you imagine? Come on, small little villages, small little area. Everybody knows everybody. You know, there was no, there was no phone and, and internet. And so, so guess what? Everybody's out in the street. Everybody's talking. Everybody, that's how you got to entertain, talking to each other in person. Yeah, right? People still do that? People still talk in person for just no reason? <laughs> did you hear? Did you hear that Joseph's not the father? Girl, yes, I did. And he's staying with her too? Can you imagine the conversations that was going around town? His friends making probably nasty side comments. Bro, you're such a loser. What's wrong with you? How are you going to stay with her? 
How are you going to do that? You're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to have honor and pride. I mean, what's, what's up with this? You know, that's, you know that's not your baby, right? You know that's not your baby. You're going to stay with her? Get her stone, dude. Just get her stone and move on. Can you imagine the conversations that could have taken place? But he would not hurt Mary, no matter what he thought she had done to him. When he could have demanded a bitter sentence, he chose righteous mercy, a righteous mercy. There's so much we can learn from Joseph's example of righteousness. Now, I know we may have not been in the same position that Joseph is in right now. I mean, I I hope not, because if anyone's telling you that the Holy Spirit impregnated her, I would tell you, run, bro, run, (laughs) run. (laughs) I know that it's not the same situation that Joseph is going through, but in all seriousness, Many, all of us have been wronged by someone. We've all been wronged. We've all been done dirty somehow. You know, it's, all, it's happened to us. You know, um, people that we care about, people that we trusted, people that we thought would never do something like that to us. But that's why it hurts. Do you understand? That's why it hurts. It hurts because you made yourself vulnerable to that person. You open yourself up to that person. And whatever, and what ends up happening is many times we close up and we don't allow other people to get in. But that's not the answer. You can't live life that way. We all know what it's like to be hurt or offended. These days, more people are offended a lot faster than they should be. And, and I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know. I know, yo, I used to get so mad. You guys know my dad's a pastor, right, a preacher. And I used to sit there growing up, and I used to get so angry in my seat. Like, why are you always making it sound like, like your generation was so tough? <laughs> I don't know. I think he had a point. <laughs> I think he had a point. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not saying that you guys are not tough. I'm just, you know, making a general blanket statement. They're saying these days that we're living in, the generations of today, somehow the, thin, the skin just got thinner throughout the years as years have gone on. The, thin, the skin used to be thicker. People used to be like, just brush things off and move on and keep going. And, and I don't know. I don't know. But we all know what it is like to, to be hurt and offended. How do you react in moments of offense? How, what's your response? Someone does something to you at that moment, what do you do? Do you react in anger, in malice? Do you explode? Are the fireworks going off in the background? Like, what, how, what do you do? What do you do? I want, I, want to, I want to read an illustration to you, a little story here. Jose and Eric were walking through the desert. Oh, sorry, no relation. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Jose and Eric were walking through the desert and got into an argument. Jose ends up slapping Eric in the face and without saying anything, Eric turns around and begins to write in the sand. And he says, today, my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept on walking and walking and walking, and they finally found an oasis. Both of them are thirsty. They're dying of thirst and walking there, so they run. Eric, on the other hand, he gets, he gets stuck in the mire. Like, you know, like he's running, and you ever, like, run in mud, and your foot kind of goes in, and it kind of, like, swallows it, and then, like, you, it trips you? Well, that's what happened to Eric, and he tripped, but he fell into the water, and Eric doesn't know how to swim, and it must have been a really deep water in Oasis, because he starts drowning. At that moment, without hesitation, 
Jose jumps in, pulls him out of the water, and saves his life. Later that night, as they were camping by the little water right there, Eric, um, Jose sees Eric doing something, and Eric is writing or trying to write on a stone. So Jose gets closer to see what he's doing, and he sees that Eric had written, today, my best friend saved my life. So Jose leans over, and he asks him, he's like, hey, after I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you write on a stone. Why is that? And Eric replied, well, when someone hurts you, we should, we, when someone hurts us, we should write it in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where it will be long remembered. There's a good lesson in this story. If we are truly righteous, that we will do right by others, even when they have done wrong to us. One of Joseph's other sons would one day grow up to leave us with some words like these, found in James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. The second thing I want to talk about Second lesson is a lesson of redemption. We see, we see a lesson of redemption in this as we read. Matthew, um, the verses 20 and 21, I'll read them again. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's like the angel's like, bro, bro, don't worry. She is not lying. This is actually true. It really was the Holy Spirit that did this. And she will have a son. And you are, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. In this dream, God gave Joseph a glimpse of his divine plan. He gave, him, he gave him a sneak peek of the divine plan. Because Joseph was a descendant of David and a righteous man, God gave him the unique job of raising the Messiah. God told Joseph that Jesus would save his people from their sins. In fact, the name Jesus is a translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation or the Savior. From his name, we learn, from the name alone, we learn about Jesus' mission on earth to save his people from their sins. Jesus came to earth to redeem mankind. Do we understand that? That's his whole purpose. The whole purpose of Jesus being born is so that you and I could be redeemed. That's why I don't understand why it's so difficult to give up a life that doesn't belong to me anymore. Do you understand? Like, like, like he he paid for me. Like, he, he, he bought my life. And the least I can do is give my life back to him. But we live our lives like our lives are more important than what God says. We live our lives like what we want to do is more important than what he directs us to do. And we get caught up with what this world expects of us. And we put that before the expectations of our king. 
Jesus came to redeem mankind, to save us from the penalty of sin. Do you know that you guys were sentenced to death? I was sentenced to death? To death, meaning there is no, there, 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 there's no parole, there's no, there's no uh, what do you call it when you, there's no appeals, there's no nothing. That's it. I'm sentenced and it's done. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And there's nothing I can do about it. And God knew that, but there was something that Jesus could do about it. And because he loved us so much, he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. I mean, are we getting that? I don't think... And I know I can't speak for people in churches and stuff, but I just, I just when, when I look out into the social media world, right, and I see, I have friends that are Christians and I have friends that are not Christians on my social media. And you know what? Those that are not Christians, they don't know Christ, right? But those that say they know Christ, I look out and I see this vast world of Christians today that are living a life that I don't, do you understand? Do you really understand? Because if we would understand this and grasp this, then we don't live our lives for ourselves. We don't live for us. And YOLO is transformed into something else. Yeah, you only live once. And so instead of doing you, since you only live once, You surrender to the Lord so he can use you. We were sentenced to death and the price had to be paid. Blood had to be spilled. And he paid it. There was a guy, uh, a baseball player named Lou Johnson. Back in 1965, he played for the L.A. Dodgers. Apparently, it was like the game-deciding um, World Series championship game, and he hits a home run, and he wins the game, and the Dodgers win the World Series in 1965. He tried for 30 years to recover his championship ring. His championship ring. He tried 30 years to get it back. Oh, you want to know how he lost it? Okay, I'll tell you how he lost it. In 1971, he lost it to some drug dealers because he had a drug addiction. Drugs and alcohol abuse would cost him everything from that magical season. He lost his uniform because you know how guys would frame it and put it on. He lost his uniform. He lost his glove. He lost the bat that hit the home run that won the game. He had nothing because of his addictions. Then one day, um, uh, the Dodgers president, Bob Graziano, found out that, the John, that his World Series ring was about to be auctioned on the internet. So obviously, it's years later, right? <laughs> internet wasn't back in, 1960, in 1971. But so, so 30 years after 1965. Anyway, so it's being auctioned on the internet and immediately takes out his checkbook and writes a check for $3,457. He buys that ring back for Johnson before any bids were placed. He did for Johnson what Johnson had been unable to do for himself. In the same way, God has done for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. He paid the price for our sins with the blood of his son. He bought us back. He redeemed us. And there's no greater gift than that. Can you imagine Joseph's anticipation or the stress or the pressure, right? All this is on his shoulder. You are responsible for upbringing the most important child that has ever been born. You have, to, you have to raise this child 
into a man which will one day carry the sins of his people. God is asking Joseph to raise the Savior as his own son. And many of us would probably be like, ooh, God, you know I would love to. But you see, what happened was, uh, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Lastly, there's a lesson of ready obedience. Matthew in verses 24 and 25, well, chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. So when, Jesus, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I love it when the Bible does that. Like, from one verse to the other, it shows you no break. It shows you an instant response, like instant there's nothing that happened in between other than the next step. With Joseph, there's no hesitation. There, there, there's, no, you know, there, there, there's no break. There's no, well, let me think about it. None of that. You see in the word that he understood clearly what God expected of him, and he was ready to obey. He would take Mary to be with his wife, and he'd suffer all the gossip, all the remarks, everything that people had to say about him. He just, you know what? God told me to marry this woman. Marry this woman. And, and he would obey in spite of the fact that this child that was in the belly of Mary, he married her, right? He married her in spite of the fact that this child of divine promise would be born under a cloud of adultery. You guys do understand that, right? Because, again, you're reading the story. Like, you're taking this, and you're reading. You saw that an angel appeared to Mary. You saw that an angel appeared to Joseph. You know that that's baby Jesus because you're reading it. You know it. But if you were there at the time, how many of you would believe how Mary got pregnant? All you would see is a woman that got pregnant before she got married to somebody who was not her husband, and then you would see how her husband stayed by her and how that baby was born. And although the baby was born, many people would always think, we wonder who the daddy is. This divine promise was born under a cloud of adultery. He called his adopted son Jesus just as he was told to do so. Joseph believed God, and he obeyed him. Later on, Jesus, later after Jesus' birth, again, an angel appears to, to Joseph, gives him some instructions, tells him, you got to go, go to Egypt. You know, uh, Harold is after him. And what does he do? Gets up and obeys again. We see Joseph in his life a lesson of ready obedience. Readiness to obey when the Lord tells him what to do where to go. He doesn't think twice. He doesn't try to offer God a plan B. Why do we do that? I mean, come, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. God says, let's do this. I'm like, oh, that looks good, God. But do you think, what if we did this? This is still good. We're still preaching the gospel. I'm not the only one. Don't worry. Don't worry. Y'all could be self-righteous. It's all good. We do that. God says something. We're like, oh, God. Especially, you know, like, that's a good point. But I don't know if I can do that. I could do this, but I can't do that. Would this be okay for you, God? Think about it. Think about how many of us, we try to uh, uh, negotiate with God. You know, if God wants us to go over there and we want to be over here, we say, okay, so how long do I actually stay here? Can I just go here for just a minute, just a couple of moments, and then I can go back? 
and we go back and forth with God, but we don't see this. He doesn't think twice. He doesn't think of a plan B. He just obeys. Why is it so hard for us to obey God? And like I told Abigail, the first time. That's the thing we're trying to say. Listen the first time. Because if you have any little kids, it's like you find yourself saying the same thing a million times. Did I tell you like 10 times already? You need to learn to listen the first time. And we're over here complaining to each other like, can you believe this little girl? I told her 25 times to do this, this, and this. And God's like, "Uh, you want me to talk? I've been telling you your whole life. You still haven't been listening to me. Why is it so hard for us to listen? Luke chapter 11, 28 says, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all these who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Because some of us want to be blessed. You know how it is. We all want to be blessed. But are we putting the word of God into practice? Are we doing what the word tells us to do? The Bible defines faith using obedience. The Bible defines obedience using faith. It's like two sides to a coin, right? They go together. They go together. You can't have one without the other. Obedience is doing what God said to do. Obedience is not just doing what someone just says to do or or someone says what God may have said to do or someone tells you to do something that God maybe wants you to do. This is why it's important for you to have your own personal relationship with God. It's important, church. It's important that you guys read the Bible for yourself, that you're not just hearing it here when I read it on Sunday. It's important that you have relationship so that you can hear from God and be led by God. So when he tells you to do something, it's not that man told you to do something, but that God told you to do something. Everybody that's in a cult right now (laughs) is in that cult because they're being obedient to what a man told them to do. I mean... Think about it. We look from the outside and like, what is wrong with that person? How could they? How? They listen to an individual were convinced by an individual and are doing everything an individual is telling them to do. That's, that's what happens. And that's why it's so important that I tell you guys, you need your own relationship with God. You need to know his word. You need to search and, and, and know his heart. Like, you need to do that. In closing, in closing, the Bible uses interesting figures, imagery, to represent Christians and their relationship with Christ, with God. Right? We see in the Bible it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We see an imagery of the sculptor, the potter, and the clay. We see the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep. We have a missionary coming next week, but in this story, there was a missionary that was serving in in Africa, and he used another metaphor, and his metaphor was, oh, Lord, you are the needle, and I am the thread. He had just visited in a small village, um, a school where they would teach the young girls to sew. And he made an observation. He said, every time, he said, every time the needle would go, thanks, the needle would make, the thread would follow. Wherever the needle went, the thread followed. He decided that represented his relationship with God. If he would stay close to the Lord, Praying and reading his word, depending entirely upon him as he followed him, that he would make it to heaven. He 
He simply was the thread and God was the needle. Church, can you stand this morning? I want us to be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest today. Can we say that we're a thread and that God is a needle? Can we say that? Thank you for your honesty, your transparency. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to say I'm just a thread because that, it, 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 it connects you to the point where there is no way the thread comes. I mean, when you're sewing, the thread follows wherever the needle goes. It, the thread has no choice. But many of us, we, 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 we have not made the commitment because we know that there's something inside of us that doesn't want to go where God wants to take us. There's something, there's something, and that something could be all sorts of things. It could be fear. It could be fear. I'm not saying that all of you are rebellious. I'm not saying that everyone's, everyone's thinking bad things. No, you could just literally be scared. Like, I'm scared. I don't know where God is taking me. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what he's going to demand of me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I don't know if I'm going to be talented enough. I don't know if I'm going to have the words enough. I don't know. And I get it. I get it. Fear is real. But we also know when we read his word that fear doesn't come from our God. So when we begin to feel that way, we have to be reminded that the enemy wants us to receive that fear and to stay where our feet are planted and not move forward in the purpose that God has for each and every one of you. Sometimes what holds us back Fear, and some of us, yeah, some of us are rebellious. Some of us just want to do it our way. We just want to do it our way. And I don't understand how many cocotazos you're going to need to take. I don't get it. How many are you going to need to take before you realize that it's not your way? This is not Burger King. It's not. Christmas is full of food. It's full of gifts. It's full of lights. It's full of music. It's full of family. It's full of parties. But most importantly, it's about the birth of our precious Savior. When we hear the stories of or see the scenes of the birth of Christ, let's not forget the simple lessons learned from a simple carpenter. Are you a righteous person? Do you treat others with kindness, mercy, and forgiveness even when you think you have been mistreated? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you had your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus? Do you truly understand the sacrifice that he made for you and me? Do you truly understand this? Are you living a life of obedience? Do you know God's word and will for your life? And lastly, are you willing to follow his commands no matter So it's real simple this morning. I think a lot of this touches each and every one of you somehow, some way. And I want you guys to be bold today to take a chance and say, you know what? God, you're right. I need help in this area. I need to do better in this area. I need to make a commitment to allow you to be the needle in my life as I am the thread and follow you wherever you may take me. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to pray with you this morning. I challenge you to come up, take steps to come up to the altar. Today is a day. That's it. I want to get closer. I want to be the need. I want to be the thread. I want to be the thread. I want to be the thread. I want you to be the needle in my life.
I want to follow wherever you lead me. I want to follow wherever you take me. If you have not accepted Christ yet, today can be that day. Today can be the day that you understand the sacrifice that God has made by sending his son to die for you and me. Some of us are struggling with some things in our life. We're struggling. We're experiencing some things that just are not from God and we don't know what to do. The the song that we played earlier, it said there's power in the name of Jesus, right? There's healing and there's life. Do you understand that there is power against all principalities, against all uh, uh, evil uh, uh, spirit things that the enemy is trying to do to cause fear, to keep us from moving forward? There's power. There's deliverance in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. And we say Jesus. We sang about Jesus. And, we, and, and this is the season where we, we, we are celebrating that Jesus came to earth. God taking flesh, becoming flesh. Father God, right now there are some people that are fighting with fear. Fear is real right now. But Father, there is power in your name. There there is victory over fear in the name of Jesus. And today, Father God, Father, we cancel the assignment of fear upon the lives of those that are here, those that are listening, those that are watching, Father God, right now. Father, we cancel it. We rebuke it. We send it back to hell where it came from, Lord, in the name of Jesus right now. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I ask, Father God, that that we strive to be righteous in the way your word has shown us, Lord, that we may be able to respond in a manner that shows others your, that, that you are <laughs> in relationship with us, that, that, that you have a place in our life, that it's evident by the way we respond, by the way we talk, by the way we treat others. Help us to live life of obedience. Help us to be willing to follow your command no matter the cost. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.